Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize the growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right, another big episode ahead of us today. I have Jen Demas. She is the CMO at Kumu. Uh, she's an advisor to Sendoso. She's a co-founder of Women in Revenue, former CMO at Gigster. Uh, she was a VP at Demandbase. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. So rather than me blabbing, I am going to get us started. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we uh, before we started recording, we were talking about the correct pronunciation of croissant, or I probably butchered it, but you know. <laughs> um, let's start. You know, I first heard about you through a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, who's in women and revenue. So let's start there. I'd love to hear just some of the backstory um, and the evolution. I, I know you've been involved as a co-founder for the last couple of years. What did that, what sparked that and how has it evolved? Okay. I'm glad you asked because it's just something I'm super proud about being a part of. Um, and it's a, it's a new-ish program, right? We're about to enter our third year of existence. So I'm one of the, the founding board member of, you know, I don't know, eight or nine, 10 women. Um, we were uh, rallied by Sherry Johnston, who had this, uh, I think she and someone else in our network um, had this idea as a brainchild that, gosh, there isn't a place where women in sales marketing and customer success can go, not just for um, practical advice about like, how do I create an ABM list and you know those kinds of things. How do I argue for better compensation and things like that, but also how to um, create the career path that you're looking for, a place where you can go to have to live in community and be able to ask any question you want about your professional life or maybe even your personal life. Some of it's about work-life balance and self-care. Um, but that was the idea. There wasn't a place for that that we knew of. And so we created one. And it's been such a pleasure to work with these women and then to be part of this really giving community. Everyone makes themselves very available to each other. And we have a really rich program. At the end of this year, we are at 4,000 members. We're extremely wow. proud. 
Yeah, it's bonkers. We started off, obviously, or maybe not obviously, as live event driven. You know, we were doing quarterly live events in the Bay Area. But one of the hidden gifts of this year has been that we're boundaryless. So we're doing virtual events. Um, at one of the events this year, I was in a breakout room with three women from Africa, two women from Europe. We were, you know, the, the community is available to everyone. Um, and it's a really powerful thing that I'm quite proud of. So thanks for asking. Amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. And, and how, so for the women listening to the show today, what, how do they know if they're a good fit and, and how should they get involved? So for the women listening today, if you are a woman who, who works in sales, marketing, or customer success in a revenue generating position, um, you are a, a qualified member of this community. And regardless of whether you are early in your career or well-established, it's a really nice place to either give back or to receive or both. Um, and to get guidance. And you can go to womeninrevenue.org to check out the organization. And you can go to womeninrevenue.org slash join to sign up. And then you'll become part of our event community. You can participate in our mentorship program. Uh, you can be a, a part of our very active Slack channel. Um, and it's something that you'll get a lot of joy from. So I invite you to participate. Amazing. And shout out to Karina on my team who put uh, this on my radar so we could even talk about it. Hey, Karina. <laughs> um, all right. So, so marketing, you, I believe you started your career on like the marketing ops, biz ops side of the coin, right? Yeah. Even, then... even before that, I was like a super dork. Like I was a coder. Uh, I did application development and system design uh, way, way back before I even was a marketer. But yes. Super dork. So does that make you uh, like a highly analytical marketer? Yep. Then? I'm a very nerdy marketer. That's cool. I, I, turns out that's important. <laughs> I know. I kind of got lucky about that being a, a trend that caught on, but that's just kind of how I am. So let's unpack that a bit because I, I've been having conversations both internally and, and with other marketers about you know what what the right blend between an analytical kind of nerdy marketer, air quotes, um, the science side of marketing and the creative side, right? It almost seems like brand and creative was such a, it was like the big thing back then, whenever that back then was. Um, and now we've indexed really hard for analytical marketing, but I wonder where the blend, where the line is, where you get the most effective campaigns and the most the just results are best. Is it, is it all the way to the right? Is it somewhere in between? What do you think? Well, so first of all, I want to clarify that I am a B2B marketing girl. So, um, we're not talking about B2C in this conversation because I think that's a completely different beast. Um, and so in B2B, I do think you're right. Historically, it leaned brand. And marketing was also thought of as sort of arts and crafts. Brand is fundamentally important, but historically, it was hard to measure its impact. That's no longer the case, right? Everything has gone digital and your ability to measure even things like brand impact and thought leadership impact, uh, all those kinds of things, they exist today. And so even those things that used to be like, I'm using air quotes for those who can't see me, but squishy, like they're not anymore. All of that is um, is uh, measurable. And um, rather than talking about the effectiveness of a campaign, if you think about a marketing program, like your goal is to make sure that you are in the consideration set of those customers, the, those accounts most likely become customers. And that means your brand has to be strong. You're, you have to be out there in the universe in the places where those accounts and people are. 
um, so that when they have a business problem that you can solve, they know about you. And then your other job is to create content that engages them regardless of where they are in that process, whether they need to learn about you or a problem that they have or whether they're about to buy a thing, right? And so I don't actually think about brand and demand um, separately anymore. Uh, I can't remember who talked about this for the first time. I think it might've been Scott from um, Integrate who talked about brand gen the first time I ever heard of brand that gen. Love it. <laughs> That's for real. That's for real. You have to think about the whole spectrum. Do the accounts that you're focused on know about you and know what you do? And the other thing is, do they know about the problem that you solve? Because it could be that you are solving something that they don't even know is a problem for themselves. All of these um, goals have to fall into your your campaigns, whether they are above funnel or mid funnel. Okay, so that tees us kind of up for a conversation about the marketing mix. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts generally, but I, I want to start first with, you know, as a leader, as a CMO, you're building out your org and deciding where to emphasize certain skill sets. Um, how do you like to, or do you have a certain methodology that you that you come back to as far as making sure that you have enough creativity and enough of that brand influence in the scientific, tactical, kind of velocity-based uh, modern marketing that we see today? So with everything in marketing, it's always an it depends. Yes. It depends. Um, it depends on where you are in a life cycle. Are you a new paradigm offering? Are you in a very crowded market that is trying to differentiate itself? You know, with a vendor who's trying to differentiate your, your goals are different and your goals are going to dictate what your mix and requirements are. Um, but I will tell you that for me personally, because I come from that really nerdy place, I tend to hire a lot of people to counterbalance, well, to counterbalance that in me. Um, and I've had some really interesting situations. Like I tend to hire people who are more of the creative uh, uh, minds because I think when, just like all things, when you get diversity in the conversation, diversity of thought, you end up with the best outcome. And so I try to counterbalance the nerdiness in me with a lot more of the creative mind. And then on, on the marketing mix more generally, not not specific to talent and, and, and that balance, what... Um... I know this is is something that excites you. So like, how, how are you thinking about your marketing mix today? And how has that changed maybe over the last even two years? Um, well, I think it's changed for everyone this year based on COVID, right? And so what happens is when your resources become scarce, you need to become more focused and intentional about where you're placing every dollar. I mean, nobody wants to waste investment, of course, but when you are when you have to be more thoughtful, you are. And, and frankly, you should always be thoughtful about where you're placing dollars. But I, I think that even if we have an awareness challenge today, a lot of our focus has been on pipeline, right? In this year, like we, we, we have a thought leadership and awareness program. And if I have scarce dollars, I want to place them as close as I can to the creation of pipeline and business. So it's a tough balance, but with a dollar, I would place a dollar closer to, to the creation of pipeline. And the work still needs to be done in awareness and thought leadership. And, and by the way, I have really felt the conversions improve with awareness programs running. So I had this wonderful experience of running a five-year program at one company that was fully account-based. And I could tell, like, the conversions through funnel improved when there were awareness programs running. Go figure. <laughs> Crazy. But I mean, that's, that's math, right? There's science yeah. there. 
All right, so before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. It's, do you find that it's, have, have you run into challenges ever in the past, not, not specific to Gigster, but, or maybe folks in your community where convincing executives who aren't in the marketing seat that this traditionally more squishy thing is truly going to influence these much more specific, you know, hardcore ABM strategies, but you need enough time to prove that out, like getting that space, creating the space for yourself and potentially budget to prove that. How, how have you run into that in the past? So in like anything, you need data to support whatever argument you're making, right? So the fact that I just told you that story, like I literally have data of how funnel conversions, pipeline and closing improved while awareness programs were running. So that, you know, data speaks volumes if you're trying to convince someone who doesn't understand those things, but you still have to prioritize. So again, like if I had 10 bucks and I had to make a decision, I, I would make decisions based on what's the current need, you know, or in what, what's the need of the business. And I would divide those things up. To, to be honest with you, I've had to make the other argument with people. That's the beautiful thing about having really great sales and marketing alignment is if you're open and transparent about all the things that are working and where you're seeing impact and where you're not. I am literally in a conversation right now with my head of sales, which we laugh about almost every other day, where he's arguing for me to spend more on above funnel activities. And I'm arguing that he needs to hire more head. <laughs> Sounds like it's a great time to be a gigster is, is what I take away from that. <laughs> Not bad. Amazing. And uh, so I know from previous conversations and this kind of tease into the sales marketing planning um, you have changed up recently your cadences for being in touch with all these groups and planning and that sort of a thing. Can you walk us all through what led to that, what the thinking was, and maybe what some of the downstream effects have been since that change? Okay. So there are some 2020 stories that I'm happy to share with you. And again, they are specific to what happened in this year and the things that worked and didn't work. That's true. It happened this year. But it is 100% all the time a marketer's job to be watching the numbers to make sure that you understand where your audience is engaging and where they're not. And their buying behaviors change. So 2020 was a very dramatic example of that. But you are never done. You never have the perfect marketing mix. That's just not how people work. And so, yes, did I have to make a bunch of weird changes this year? Yeah. But do I 100% of the time need to be watching my marketing tactics and adjusting them. Yes. Even in a year that's not 2020. Wait, so, Jen, I, th I thought at some point we just get to relax. I thought we do all this hard work. We set things up and then we just, we just chill, right? I have never had that happen yet. So I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know if we reach Nirvana, but so far, no. Um, what I did see from a tactical perspective that was weird this year was, it's not that weird, actually, now that we're this many months into it. In March and April, when everyone went home, email engagement sucked. Hard. Like nobody wanted to open their emails. They were all setting up their, their monitors and figuring out how they were going to 
you know, have their kids go to school while they were working and all these other kinds of things. Everyone's life was in transition and email engagement tanked for us. I don't, I've heard other people tell different stories, but that was our experience. And actually it was so much so that we just said, forget it. Like we don't want to be shouting into a void. So we actually turned our regular cadence dramatically down. Every now and then we would send out a test email to be like, do you care now? Do you care now? But email was a thing that um, for a couple months, really, really the engagement with that tactic changed. Um, I'm happy to say that now it's come back. <laughs> so that's a good thing because it's a nice tactic. I mean, it has a, it has a great use. Um, but that was something that I saw that was really different this year. The other thing that happened was, uh, the opposite of that is that when everyone went home, I, this probably happened to you in your personal life too, but like we did all the Zoom cocktail hours and everybody got on. Well, everybody wanted to talk to our SDRs. Go figure. People were lonely. They were bored. They were at home. They didn't have any interaction. So they actually wanted to speak to folks who were doing targeted outbound um, more than they had on a normal day. And I don't know if it's because we've gotten so good at outbound or whatever it is, but that engagement has actually persisted through the years. So how do you, this one, I mean, this one is something that I'm talking about constantly right now with executives and founders and peers, um, which is in a year that's been so variable in all the ways you've just described and, and more depending on industry and all those other factors. Obviously, we can see trends in our own data, but those trends are very variable and new, right? Generally. And so in future planning uh, for 2021, budget conversations, that sort of a thing, uh, how do you make decisions? How do you approach planning and budgeting knowing that next year may be also highly variable, but that you know the data that you're looking at was variable in and of itself? That's an excellent question. And again, like in the weird silver linings of, of this year, one of the things that happened is I, I mostly do enterprise um, motions. And that's what I've mostly done in my career. Sometimes there's a mid-market and a down-market offer, but there's almost always some kind of an enterprise component to what I'm doing. And we, out of necessity, we shifted to a monthly cadence this year rather than a quarterly cadence. And I am a convert. Like I love it because there, when you're doing a quarterly cadence, you have a long sales cycle, you have a complex deal with a bunch of different people involved and high average deal size. If you work on a quarterly cadence, you can, every deal gets pushed into the last month of the quarter. And then you, you lose some that you thought you were going to win and you're like, darn, and, or it pushes out to the next quarter. There's kind of no place to hide when you get things down to a monthly cadence. Um, and I'm, I love that we have done this. And so we have, each of the reps talk about the three deals that they're focused on this month and the three deals that they're going to focus on next month. And we've gotten all of our targets down to monthly targets. How many appointments does each SDR need to set? How many appoint, how many opportunities does a sales rep need to source in order for those to convert to the pipeline that we need for them to meet and exceed their targets? Um, and looking at those things every month has been incredibly powerful. So I love that. So I would say one of the things that we've done is shift our cadence from quarterly to monthly, and I want to keep doing that. I love that. Um, but it, it means a lot of weird stuff. So for example, I have in my head what the pipeline coverage needs to be for an enterprise organization on a four-quarter rolling basis. I don't know what it looks like on a four-month rolling basis, right? I'm just now, we just had our monthly business review this morning for December. 
um, which is an aligned like sales and marketing business. Our CEO comes, everybody presents. And um, I, ha I now have enough data. This is our sixth month of doing this where I'm going to be able to look at what was the opening value of pipeline and what was the, what were the bookings that we closed in that month to see on a monthly cadence? Is there some kind of consistency with a monthly close rate? And what does that mean for the pipeline coverage that you need to be successful at this cadence? I'm just gathering the data now. Why do you think this has never been a thing in the past? I mean, why do you think court is like enterprise sales cycles and people just didn't feel like there's enough to talk about? I think it's a huge pain in the butt. Like it's, it's <laughs> a lot. Every single first Tuesday of every month, we're having this big meeting. It's a lot of work for the reps. And also it's, it's a lot of exposure. Every month we talk about these are the deals that you called last month. Here's the ones that closed. Here's the ones that didn't. Like, are you getting better at this? Are you getting worse at this? And, and everything's out there on the table. So I think it's a lot of work. Um, but to be honest with you, it hadn't occurred to me until this year to do it. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me, but it's one of those things where you're like, oh man, I wish I would have thought about this sooner. But it's one of those things that 2020 made necessary that I love. Um, so there you go. All right. So shifting gears, you are a CMO, you are an advisor, you are a co-founding board member. What do you do? That's a lot <laughs> to have on anyone's plate. What do you do to um, keep your head clear, unwind and, and make sure that you have balance? I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a cousin. I'm all kinds of other things too that help my friend. So those things help me keep balance. Um, my other people. Um, and uh, I also hike a lot. <laughs> that's one of the things that's been nice about this year is we live in this place where we can just walk out the front door and go be in nature. Thank goodness, because it's been a saving grace um, this year, uh, except for when the fires happened um, and that wasn't available to us. But we've done a lot more sort of being outside every day. We've done a lot of gardening this year. Um, we've done a lot of cooking. I did for a while jigsaw puzzles. I'm over that. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> we played a lot of card games. Um, so yeah, that, that part of your life is what is why you work and do all the other things, right? To, and, uh, and that's, uh, so I get a lot of richness and, and enjoyment out of all that other yummy stuff. Amazing. For, for everyone listening who, who can't see Jen in this moment, there is a giant, what looks like redwood tree yep. in the background. It's beautiful. It's just green everywhere. Um, very envious. I too was working on my uh, yard gardening landscaping game this year with uh, planting some roses, which are a whole nother ballpark and keeping alive. Well, they're, they're too oh. finicky for me. I, I can't with the roses. Um, I, I will tell you one other funny thing that I did this year is I got the Peloton of kickboxing, which is this thing called Fight Camp. It's so cool. What? Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a standing bag. And it comes with an app that has, it's not, um, it's asynchronous classes, but classes of stand-up boxing and kickboxing, all different levels. And it has trackers. You put these trackers on your wraps and it it measures your output and gives you exercises to do. And it's really cool. And um, it, so I've been doing that. Is there a screen or is it the, just the app? It's an app, but I just do Apple. I do, uh, you know, screen share onto the TV in my gym. And oh, then cool. and you just run the classes. It's kind of fun. That's amazing. I did the, uh, it's called Hydro. It's the Peloton of rowing machines. Um, ah. So that's been keeping me somewhat in shape. <laughs> I think <laughs> a rowing machine, but I haven't been using it consistently yet. So I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, Hydro. I, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> well, um, all right. Last question for you, which is, you know, we all get to these 
places of success with help from, you know, amazing mentors and hopefully with help from amazing mentors. Um, who are some of those folks who have been influential? They could even be peers who, who have inspired you along the way. Um, oh my gosh. I don't even know where to start or end, but um, I have so many people who help me on a day, day-to-day basis with, and have, have helped me um, through my career. So I'll just start naming a few. Please, <laughs> oh, yeah. So my, my long-term mentor and boss is Heidi Malin. She's the CMO at Workfront who was just acquired by Adobe five seconds ago. So she's mm-hmm. in a big transition right this minute. Um, but I am so incredibly thankful to have worked for her um, for so long and learned so many things by working at her side. Um, and I use the things I've learned from her, both in my personal and professional life, like pretty much every day. Um, and all of the women on the founding board of Women in Revenue are people who I can pick up the call, phone and call at any moment. I have friends from elementary school. I'm kind of one of those people who like, I keep my people. So I have friends from all different phases of my life who are experts at whatever their thing is. And I call them when I need them. Um, uh, um, uh, so many, even the people that I participate in the mentorship program, um, whether formally or informally. So I'm meant to be mentoring them, but I constantly learn from the questions that are asked and the situations that people are in. So I'm very thankful to be surrounded constantly by a bunch of smart, hardworking people who we can learn from. Amazing. Well, this was so much fun for me. Hopefully it was fun for you as well. Um, appreciate you uh, you coming on the show. Thanks for having me.